Let's look at haters. Most people just don't get the upside of having haters. If they saw the true upside of having haters, they'd want more. So here are the upside of having haters. Number one, haters and critics force you to evaluate and check and research your work, force you to grow, force you to improve, number one. Number two is as you get a hater and you transcend that level, you're presented with more to transcend the next level and the next level and the next level. This is Superfast Business with James Schramko. James Helping you build your business super fast. James Schramko here. Welcome back to superfastbusiness.com. This is episode 853. Today, we're going to get disruptive. And to do that, of course, we need Rob Moore. Welcome, Rob. Hey, James. Hey, everyone. 853. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we're cranking out of it. One day I might get good at this. But <laughs> when it comes to social following and producing a lot of content, I mean, I'd really admire what you're doing over there. And I'm constantly sending students to go and have a look at your work as the benchmark for what's possible with entertaining content, repurposing content, King hitting it out of the park with amazing guests. I want to tell the backstory, of course, how I sort of got involved with you this year and how you've influenced even what I'm doing. And of course, I think we're going to have a free-flowing conversation covering a few different topics. So first up, Clubhouse. I saw everyone getting onto Clubhouse. It was the end of last year, I think. And I popped in there just to figure out what it is and how it works because I really like to be hands-on with things so that when people are talking about it, I want to know exactly what it is they're talking about. I'm not one of those very, very early to market people. I was super late with Instagram. I'd never even got into Snapchat and I haven't touched TikTok. So I like to be sort of in the early majority part and my audience probably comfortably sit in that early majority part too. Even though a lot of the things I was talking about 10 years have aged well now. In 2020, of course, the year that the rest of the world discovered that things like Zoom exist and you can actually work from home, believe it or not. So anyway, I went into Clubhouse and there you were and you were running some discussion and you saw me and you promoted me to the platform at the speaking stage and you were very, very complimentary and nice towards me, which blew me away at the time because I didn't know that you know me. You said nice things, you talked about memberships and so forth, that was the topic of the room and it just made an impact. So I want you to know that those little acts of generosity or those little things that you can do for others that may not necessarily mean much to you can mean an awful lot to the other person. So I just want to say thank you for that. And that's the prime reason you're on this show today. Well, that's really nice to hear, James. I'm also a fan of yours. And I think it's really nice when you meet people that respect your work and you respect them. And I think it's really important in being an entrepreneur to not just focus on the mission and the metrics, you know, the passion and the profit, but also how you can help others. Now, a great way to do that is to pay it forward. I joined Clubhouse and there were two people. One's name is Sean Vosler and another one, Farrokh. And they both brought me up on the stage and made me a moderator when I didn't know what I was doing on Clubhouse. For me, a Clubhouse is where you finish on the 18th hole. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was doing. <laughs> and so to hear you say that we're here because I paid it forward, you know, feels really good. And maybe it's not talked about in entrepreneurship enough because, you know, people always ask me for my CV and I tell them my list of, you know, achievements, if you like. But every Christmas day and every Boxing Day, I do 15 minute one to one calls for people who are lonely or struggling or they've lost their husband and wife, you know, or they don't even have any money for presents or their business is failing. And I don't charge for those calls. I just do them. 
people are always telling me I should talk about that more. And, um, you know, they're the things we're going to be remembered for when we're gone, not, you know, what our turnover was or how many Lamborghinis we had. Although I do want good turnover. You do have a Lamborghini. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I do have an Aventador, but still. With expensive side mirrors, I gather. Yes. There's a lot of things in that. There's so many things I want to talk about with you. It's not just the fact that you're here now. And of course, you'll go on this show and some people will find out about you who didn't know you existed, if there's any left on the planet. Other things, though, that have happened, I've been sending people to you for all of this year. I've sent them to your Instagram. I think you even got involved in a slight mini rant that I had was kind of contrarian to Clubhouse when everyone was Clubhouse and I was kind of saying, I don't know, a lot of people are spending an awful lot of time on there. And I think I drew you out and you even probably made a video around that topic and it was fun. It made me smile because one thing I really like about you is you're not afraid to express an opinion. You can polarise and you've got some wonderful sayings. I want to ask you about those sayings. You've got lots of them. Like if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. That's one of them. You talk about haters. I'd love to talk about that because I'm running some Facebook ads at the moment and I get some vitriolic. (laughs) Yes. Like I'm literally giving away my book for free and people go out of their way to make nasty comments about that. Even the title of my book offends people. So that's fascinating. How do you come up with those sayings? Do you just sit around and ponder them? Do they just pop out in a conversation and you think, oh, I like the sound of that. I'll make a T-shirt out of that. Like what's the process? (laughs) So I suppose like you, James, I've done a lot of content. I'm at sort of just under the thousand mark on episodes for podcasts. And when you do a lot of content, things do occasionally fly out of your mouth and you think that was actually quite good. (laughs) A lot not, but a lot, yes. I suppose if you play the guitar enough and you just riff, you're going to come up with some cool melodies, probably a bit accidentally. So if people want to come up with, if you don't risk anything, you risk everything then you probably just want to increase your volume of content. And if things come out, like I could be in the middle of an interview like this and something will come out and I go, whoa, whoa, wait, that was actually good. I need to write that down. And you need to capture it when you get it. So that's way number one. I'm also a big fan of learning from other people. And, you know, maybe, you know, you observe people you follow that you admire, and then you put your spin on what they've inspired you with. Now, 15 years ago, I had a chip on my shoulder. I was arrogant, cocky, defensive, hurt, complacent. I was all wrong. And that's why I was not succeeding. And that kind of attitude, I don't want to learn from that person. I don't like that person. That person's ranty, shouty, and they're full of shit, you know, blah, blah, blah. You have to have the opposite view of that to develop your own self. You have to see the best in others to bring out the best in yourself. That was a good one. Yeah, yeah. Write that one down. You have to see the best in others to bring out the best in yourself. Right, I am writing that down right now. You're doing the tweetables (laughs) for my team here. It's funny what you say about you draw from other people. I actually, when I'm surfing sometimes, I'm having the Rob Moore voice in my head. (laughs) You've given me a more catchy storytelling animated version of myself. For some of the videos I'm making, I'm channeling my inner Rob Moore. It sounds crazy, but I love your rants and I love your cheeky expressions and I like how you bring people into your world, but you're also educating them. Yes, you've got a Lamborghini, but you also have, I was reading here, some ridiculous stats. I want to talk to you about your stats. You've got 1,200 rental units (laughs) and uh, 140 plus rental units under development, right? So you're talking about how you can buy these things out of the passive income that's coming from the investments that you so, so a lot of people get confused with influences and flashy stuff, and you've actually gone out of your way to explain the difference between 
the Airbnb slash exotic car rental method or just spending all your cash to actually investing. When I was reading your biography, it's intimidating. How do you handle the fact that people will have a, yeah, but Rob, you've made it, you've got everything. I'm going to just read some of this just to give the audience a picture of it because I read it and I'm like, oh, crap. He's got 18 books, best-selling book, Money. You're a multiple business owner, a double world record holder for public speaking, which I don't doubt for a second. I haven't looked it up and validated this, but I have no doubt. You're one of the UK's top non-fiction authors published by Hachette. Right? You're the host of the Money Podcast. You've interviewed 15 billionaires. You've got tens of millions of listeners and downloads in 204 countries. You became a millionaire before age 31. You used to be an artist, 50,000 pounds in debt, four years before becoming a millionaire. You're a decamillionaire by the age 35. This is like we're only partway through this. You're helping lots of people scale and get educated. You've built the UK's largest property training company, Progressive Property. You've won Business of the Year in 2006, Property Wire Training Co. You do nine figures in revenue. You've got a property portfolio of 1,200 rental units, co-owned, managed, developing 140 rental units under development, 125,000 square feet. You're one of the UK's top entrepreneur influencers across social media with more than a million followers. You're a money mentor and advisor to celebrities and multimillionaires. Personally, right, this is just too much talent for one person, but you're a pilot, you're a car watch and vinyl collector and Lego addict, it puts you up there with Ryan Levesque. You've got kids who I often see in your videos, so that's really interesting how you splice them in. And they're parroting your expressions. You're passing the baton down the line. You've got the foundation, the Rob Moore Foundation, to help young and underprivileged people. even makes you a nice person, Rob. And then you've got the RISE board member and record finance raise for the RISE Prince's Trust. And you chaos creator, rebel, playful, curious, and cheeky. Basically, someone hears that and they think, oh, like this is untouchable. What advice would you have for someone who hears that and then they go into that negative mindset space of I could never do that or you know, Rob's an untouchable alien level and I just can't relate to that? Okay, so I believe one of the reasons that we're here right now, because I do think that there's serendipity and synchronicity in that everything as it happens is meant to happen and there is a lesson in everything. And the reason we're here and you're reading that is because I don't credit myself for any of that. And so you've been attracted into my life to remind me that I've done some cool shit in the last 15 years because I never acknowledge myself for any of that. You know, I'm friends with billionaires and I'm friends with Grant Cardone. And, you know, Grant's probably got more money than me. I don't know how many properties he owns, but, you know, he's raised a lot of money and he's got more following than me. And I'm always looking at next level, next level, next level. So one, I want to thank you for being that gift brought to me to make me pat myself on the back from time to time. But the reason I wanted to say that is because that is one of the entrepreneur's curses, isn't it, James, where we don't actually sit back and go, do you know what? I've done all right. And to compare yourself to me or Grant Cardone or Arnold Schwarzenegger is a curse, not a gift. And we've all done something admirable, valuable. We've all got our own version of a CV. Now, I'm quite a generalist. So when I listened to you saying about my foundation, I was thinking, yeah, okay, I have raised seven figures for various organizations, including my own and helped a lot of people, but I haven't helped tens of millions of people. And yeah, I've written 18 books, but I know Mark Victor Hansen and Brian Tracy, and they've written 118 books. And yeah, I've got 1200 units under management and ownership, but Grant Cardone's got you know more. So that's where my brain is always going. 
And you could say someone is more valuable if they've done one thing, but they're the best in the world at it. So no one should be intimidated by me. You know, we should all just be inspired to be a better version of ourselves. And if you're trying to be someone else, you're always going to lose because you are better than everyone else at being you and everyone else is better at being themselves than you are. So what can we learn from this? Number one is let's be inspired by other people's results. Let's work out, okay, James has done great. He's done, you know, 870 or whatever episodes. I want to start a podcast. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to do the same amount as James, but he's inspired me to start. And obviously, I haven't got the millions of downloads that James has, but he's inspired me to start. And, you know, we can do that across all areas. I met Arnold Schwarzenegger, who's, you know, one of my heroes. And I remember standing next to him because I spent a fair bit of time with him. And I thought, you're pretty short. <laughs> I was surprised because, you know, in, in my mind, Arnold Schwarzenegger was seven foot six. You're quite tall from what I gather. Yeah. 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 And, and I, I remember looking at him thinking, you're going bald <laughs> and you dye your hair red. And it was really weird because I'd pedestalized him up so much that I thought he was the Greek statue of fame and notoriety and legendary status. And I just realized he's a human being like everybody else. I mean, you see him on Facebook and, you know, he's still grateful for America and he's got a pet donkey and he's just a normal guy. <laughs> There's a quote. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger is just a normal guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to pick up on a couple of things you said before, James, because you opened a couple of loops, which I think is really important. The second way that I create these sound bites and these little memorable pieces of content is I study other people and then I adapt to my own version. So, you know, I think that anyone can do that. People can watch you, James, and go, I really like that content. And how can I put my own spin on that? Because, you know, let's be honest, we're all just improving the work of people before us. And there's nothing wrong with that. And it's only ego that would stop you doing that. So, you know, I've probably got 250 soundbite quotes or little phrases. At least half of them are inspired by others and adapted and made into a little bit of a robism, if you like. Then the next thing, James, is on the haters and the critics. So I believe that everything in life comes with equal upside and downside. Everything. And I could give you a zillion examples. In fact, I will. You know, some people look at you in a T-shirt and go, yeah, you're comfortable with yourself. Some people look at you in a T-shirt and go, you're supposed to be an influencer. Put a suit on. What are you doing? Have a shave. Do you see what I mean? And, you know, some people are like, oh, you're interviewing Rob. Yeah, Rob's work is good. You're interviewing Rob. What the fuck are you interviewing Rob for? He just rants for a living. You know, get him off your podcast. Anything could be a, a perceived upside and downside. So let's look at haters. Most people just don't get the upside of having haters. If they saw the true upside of having haters, they'd want more. So here are the upside of having haters. Number one, haters and critics force you to evaluate and check and research your work, force you to grow, force you to improve. Number one. Number two is as you get a hater and you transcend that level, you're presented with more to transcend the next level and the next level and the next level. Think about how many haters Donald Trump has, for example, you know, he has millions. When you get to presidential level, that comes with the territory. Number three is it makes you more resilient. It makes you more stoic. It makes you more balanced when you can handle haters. Number four, they're brilliant for your algorithms. I know you hate them on Facebook ads, but when there's a subthread that kicks off because of a hater, that actually opens up the algorithm and you get more reach. So much so, actually, that Facebook will de-rank or de-qualify your ads if you delete all the comments. So don't delete all the comments. 
So there's multiple benefits. I've got motivation from haters. I've got quotes from haters. I've got the desire to prove people wrong from haters. My haters have given me so many gifts. They just don't realize that they're bringing me so many gifts. I just need more. I just more bring me more gifts. And I think that's wisdom. I think wisdom is to see everything in a balanced view, the upside and the downside of it. Like my rants. You know, my rants get more views than all of my other content. My rants get way more views than my deeper, better quality, more researched, more thoughtful content. And my rants often get more views than my interviews with Jordan Peterson or David Goggins. But of course, my rants piss people off. My rants turn people against me. And if there's one thing, James, people don't talk about brand, which I want to say, because, you know, I've been trying to develop a brand for probably a decade now. Like you, I was a bit slow on some of the platforms, which is why I jumped on Clubhouse and it paid off because I thought, don't make the same mistake. You know, don't wait. So, yeah, I forgot what I was going to say. There you go. You're building a brand. You're talking about cultivating a brand. Yeah, building a brand. That's it. I am listening. So, <laughs> yeah, no, no. Yeah, you, you, that was really yeah, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most people are waiting for their next question. No, no, I'm just totally listening. I'm just soaking this <laughs> up and I'm sure our listeners are too. Like, this is good. Thank you. This is what it takes to be disruptive. You're really talking about polarization, but I think where you're getting here is that you are deliberately cultivating a brand that is sort of feeding on itself and attracting the kind of people who are going to get the most stimulation from what you have to say. Yeah, and I think that where I was leading, which you helped me remind, is you know, if you think about what a brand is, you get a lot of sound bites from design agencies or whatever. But where I sit right now in my life, I think to define a brand is be clear who you want to piss off. And I don't think I've heard anyone ever say that. But Apple are quite happy to piss off Samsung. Of course they are. And I'm quite happy to piss off communists and socialists and, you know, broke people who just will take no sign from the universe that there's an opportunity to change your life and bitches and moaners and whiners and complainers and critics and trolls and haters. I was born to piss them off. And I'm quite happy to do that. And 10 years ago, James, I was probably scared to do that, if I'm just honest. And so when you're scared to piss people off, you dilute your own brand. Then you don't create polarity. Then you don't create memorability or shareability. I think also linked to being clear who you want to piss off. Now I'm clear who I want to piss off. I'm going to enjoy pissing them off. I'm really going to enjoy pissing them off. And it's really going to help my brand. I think that to be able to be clear and happy who you want to piss off, you have to have the courage to be disliked. And too many people are scared of what other people will think about them. Therefore, they never truly unleash who they are because they're scared of how they'll be judged. And I know that that's a natural human nature thing because the fear of shame and ridicule, which would basically ostracize us from our fellow tribal society, of course, that was a big risk back in the day. Mm. It's not a big risk anymore to piss a few people off. So when you have the courage to be disliked, you have ultimate freedom because you will speak your truth and you will promote your truth and you won't be held back by your perceived fear and criticism and judgment of others. And that is the greatest gift you can give to yourself. Well, it's interesting. I mean, it's one of my favorite books, actually, The Courage to Be Disliked. I like that Adlerian philosophy. It certainly helped me with thinking about how to deal with what other people, you know, have traumas they keep bringing back into their life. Yeah. It really crosses into the other topic of the cancel culture. I expect some people are concerned about stepping out too much. For example, right now, as we're recording this, there's a lot of divisive warfare happening on social media platforms over vaccinations over government policies or potential overreach also <laughs> like as we record this like most of my country's locked down and so are our next door neighbors so there's a lot of stuff going on and i've seen people put themselves out there 
with things that probably are, are not necessarily related to the core of their business. Like it's nothing to do with property development, for example, or property education. But would you go out into the market with personal stuff like that to polarize or do you think you should keep it on brand? Mm. That's a really deep question, actually, James. And, you know, I always want to be aware that you and I share our opinion. And that comes with a lot of experience. But I wouldn't want to guide someone down a rabbit hole that gets them into trouble. It's a hard one. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger has taken a stance, for example, and no doubt it literally caused the entire attention of the world to focus on him. So he is a brilliant marketer at the absolute minimum. I saw one of your videos, you're talking about the pandemic. So something had gotten under your skin that day and it, and it made total sense to me because it's the same sort of thing that's happening here. And also when the government starts to interfere with business, then it does become business. I mean, you were talking about the fact that it's hard on your employees when they can't come into the office because someone has decided that you know, they will control that. And I don't know, at no time in the past until now have I as a sort of entrepreneur felt more impeded upon by external forces. Like I'm literally penned into a five kilometer radius of my house and I understand why and I understand social responsibilities and all of that. But also, it doesn't mean that I have to enjoy it. And so there's that, how much do you risk polarizing an audience with an opinion? Or sometimes things maybe should just be kept to the side and just focus on the core. Yeah. So let's look at some potential drivers, because this is an individual choice. And I just want to say to anyone listening, don't blindly go and do what I'm about to suggest. Just consider your stance. So one thing is, I think if you strongly, strongly believe in something, then expressing that is probably a good thing to do. But one, it should probably be only the things you really strongly feel about, because otherwise you just end up being a leaker of emotions and a hijacker of the latest headlines and people won't take you seriously. So, you know, there are some social commentators who've got millions of followers and that's all they do. You know, they just pick the headline and comment on it. So you've not heard me talk about Afghanistan at all. I will admit, James, I did think, is there a way I can link that to business? And there isn't, and it would have been a gimmick, and therefore I don't go there. You want to jump in? Go on. Just on that, I saw an influencer post on his Facebook feed, you know, what do you think of when you think of Afghanistan? And I know this guy, and I've talked about this on another episode, I know this guy doesn't give a crap about the people stranded in Afghanistan. I saw a picture of a mother holding a baby that had blood all over it that was caught in crossfire, and it made me very, very upset. And I just thought, that guy, he's lost all credibility with me. No matter where we're at, he's just clickbaiting off a cheap shot. And that's where I, I resonate very strongly with what you're saying. I'd probably put in different words. Say, like, don't be a douchebag marketer. Be authentic in your beliefs. I think that's what you're saying. But I'm saying it in um, more explicit terms. <laughs> yeah, I think basically choose your battles. Now, you know, a rant on social media or expressing something that you're really emotional about, it's not necessarily a battle for you as an individual. It might be, depending on your character, but it could become one in the thread. So number one is, I think, be clear what you believe in and then only on the things that are really, really important to you should you make a stand. But when you do, that's very powerful. Yeah, number two is, don't be gimmicky. Now, 
James, I want to open up a, a paradox here because I think it's important. Newsjacking, a good marketer will know what newsjacking is. And newsjacking is when you leverage the media, the headlines and the existing emotion and you put content out on that. And that is really good to grow your brand. And where I'm explicitly clear here, James, and by the way, I'm not saying I'm right. You're just asking me is every day we look at trends, headlines, but I would say 95 out of 100 of them I pass on. Five out of 100 of them I comment on. And those five are, I believe, on brand or on personal brand. So I'm going to go live straight after this on my Rob Moore Progressive Facebook page because it's just come out. Get this. The highest paid executive in the UK is, um, I think he's the CEO of AstraZeneca. In a shocking news development. <laughs> yeah. And that brings up some moral dilemmas and paradoxes on brand for me with money. So it's a good fit. And it's also a bit of a, yeah, you know, I'm jumping on a headline, but it's a fit. I can make it on brand. I think it's relevant and it's something that impacts everyone. So number three then, James, I would say is people always ask me, what should they post on social media? You know, how much personal stuff? I think a good guide, 80% of your content should probably be just about your brand and your niche. I would say 10% of your content should be personal. You know, as, as much as it's a bit gimmicky, when I put my Lamborghinis and Ferraris and everything on my Facebook stories, they get five times the views and they are my cars and people will parody it and, you know, whatever else and judge me for it. But they get five times the views. So 10% should be who you are, what you do. I do lives with the kids and stuff like that. 5% should be newsjacking. I reckon that's a good gauge. <laughs> so, you know, five in every hundred posts should probably be what's going on in the media on brand. And then 5% should be pitching. If you're not pitching, you're not making any money. And, you know, but if you're pitching every post, it's... So I use the 80-10-5-5 rule. I reckon I probably got it all wrong because <laughs> I've got a personal Instagram and a business Instagram and my team run the business one and I run my personal one and I only do personal stuff on my personal one. What I have noticed is the people in my world, and they've got both about the same number of followers. Both have got sweet F all followers, but the people who do follow, I know these people and they know me and they're very responsive to my poor attempts at making coffee art or the, my surfing pictures, which are probably very boring for most people. <laughs> but at least they get to choose. Do they want to be sold to or do they just want to get to know me as a person? I think that's been an interesting thing. But I could learn a lot from you. For your brand too, it's disruptive and that's probably worth pointing out for people. that People expect that from you now. How would you define being a disruptive entrepreneur? So I think if there are industries that are lazy, bloated, monopolistic, or poor serving of the clients, improving that sector and challenging the way things have been done would be disruptive. Now, I've got an example, and I'm not going to name the company, but there's a promotion company that are one of the biggest in the world, and we are a promoter. And if you speak to anyone that's spoken for this promotion company, they say the um, splits are penal. They take nearly all the money. Like they take 80% of the sales, even though, you know, you created it and, and that doesn't seem equitable. And so many speakers don't get paid. So actually, you know, when they say they take 80% of the sales, well, if you don't get paid, they take 100% of the sales. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work out, yeah. And I don't know anyone that has really a good word to say about them and their culture, yet they are one of, if not the biggest promotion companies in the world. So I'm coming for them. I am coming for them because I just think that it doesn't have to be like that. And 
that should not be the example of how to be a global promoter. So that would be an example of being disruptive. I think being disruptive is disrupting yourself, i.e. for me, James, and I really believe this. I want to make a massive stress of this point. I think it was Ryan Holiday who wrote a book called Ego is the Enemy. I don't think ego is the enemy. I think complacency is the enemy. I believe in a marriage, complacency kills a marriage. I believe in a business, complacency in staff kills a business. I believe complacency in yourself or the global economy or whatever. I believe complacency is the enemy. And I want to stress that really big time. So for me, disruption is anti-complacency. Like imagine you're a competitor. Everyone listening, put yourself in the position, get your ego out of the way. I've just said ego isn't the enemy, but you know, half of it is. Get your ego out of the way and imagine you're a competitor and look at how you could out-compete yourself. Actually look at, well, you know, progressive, they send too many emails. They're a bit careless because we're fast and, you know, you've got the super fast business and, you know, being super fast, you know, the benefits of that, but you also know there's breakages, there's mistakes. So, you know, progressive are fast. They make some mistakes, um, you know, yada, yada. Because if you don't do that, a competitor is going to do that. I think that's being disruptive. I think challenging your own beliefs. Like when I wrote the book Money, which is basically a pro-capitalism book, I imagined I was communist or socialist or whatever hybrid of economic system there is to try and disprove my own theories. Because, you know, for me, that's being disruptive. Being courageous is disruptive. And then one more thing I'll say, James, is human beings are naturally riddled with fear because fear creates accountability to survival. You know, fear makes us stronger, faster, more aware. Fear is actually a very, very powerful emotion that when leveraged can really change the world. But we don't know how to manage fear. Fear debilitates, or actually sometimes it makes us fight unnecessarily. But if you face your fears and manage and master your fears, and you do the things that scare you, I believe that is being disruptive. And I believe that challenging yourself to face your fears and actually finding out for yourself what's the result of the decisions you make that you're scared of, I believe that is being truly disruptive. I think that's great. You've put a, a real emphasis on that. I thought you might describe disruptive as how you compete with the market, but taking that internally is fantastic. I'm going to join that to a previous topic because in the cult persuasion techniques that Blair Warren talks about, he says, you know, fight the enemy. And I know someone who extended that to fight the external enemy and also fight the enemy within. And I think what we're seeing on a global scale right now is a fear campaign. There is a big fear campaign forcing people to be scared. And then, of course, the subscription program comes in with the solution, (laughs) which is fascinating from a business perspective. But if we can acknowledge that fear is a part of the equation, then we harness it and then we turn it. I mean, it explains why there's people who are thriving in this environment. And you could almost feel guilty for thriving when everyone's having such a difficult time. And I think the expression that I saw that it summarizes this the best is that we're not all in the same boat. We're all in the same storm and we're in different boats. Some people are drowning. Other people are in icebreakers. Other people are in their luxury yachts. Other people are just in a little dinghy. So it depends where you are. And I think you're in a place of security and safety and comfort from a perspective of having accomplished a lot and built that solid foundation. You must have a strong core to be able to handle all the hits. And I think that strong core is really the bullet point of this whole episode. If you want to achieve, then you need that strong core and constantly question yourself what comes across. You haven't said the word, but I think you're expressing humility. And I think that's why 
I'm attracted to your content and to what you're doing because you're saying and doing a lot of things that other people think but are probably too scared to say. So I know you're going to inspire people. Where can we go and find out more? I've got robmore.com. I did not intend to make a pun then. That came out bad. (laughs) Robmore.com. You've got a lot of books. You've got a book on money. You've also got books for people who are at different stages of the journey. And no doubt you've got books for people who like property. Yeah, I think if you want to get a sort of a sense or a flavor of how I can help you, the first thing is my personal vision and mission is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get better financial knowledge. And one thing I must finish on, James, is there's a lot of fear in the world, like you said. There's a lot of fear campaigns in the world, like you said. There's a lot of change in the world. There's fast evolution. In fact, there's revolution right now, almost, isn't there? Accelerated evolution is revolution. And people are getting disrupted and people don't know where to go. And if I were to give one thing that transcends all of that and keeps you calm and regulated and clear and inspired and empowered, It would be to have a meaningful mission, you know, to be clear on what your vision is. So, you know, my company vision for progressive property is to help people invest for freedom, choice and profit. And we won't deviate off that mission while there's a pandemic. We just move it online and we find new media in which to deliver it. One of the reasons I was on Clubhouse was testing that media, for example. So the mission and vision don't change. It's just all the emotions are a distraction. My personal vision is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get better financial knowledge. And I haven't deviated from that mission or vision. And when you do, you sink down into emotion, fear, chaos, confusion, and overwhelm. But when you transcend above the global fear, the global emotion, you transcend above into your focused vision and mission, you have the opposite emotions, clarity, certainty, volition, you're regulated emotionally, you can even control your own fear. So to that end, if people are inspired by starting and scaling their business and getting better financial knowledge, I would say my podcast, The Disruptive Entrepreneur, is a good place. And I would say my book, Money, is a good place to get educated on you finding out what your personal vision and mission is, and then finding a way to capitalize and commercialize that selfishly to make profit and selflessly to change the world. Love it. What a perfect way to end. Thank you so much, Rob Moore. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. I'm glad we're able to make it work. I hope you'll come back in the future and I'm sure there's many topics we could discuss. I'll take requests from listeners if they enjoyed this. You want Rob back? What do you want him to talk about? He's got plenty of talents. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thanks, James. I've really enjoyed it as well. I want to say I'm inspired by your work and your wisdom. So thank you very much. There you go. See you soon. If you need anything, by the way, you've got my email, haven't you, sir? I do, mate. And uh, I'm not the one that typically calls on assistance, but we'll get this episode 853 out there. (laughs) Share it on your your story. That'd be fantastic. Yeah, we'll get that. If you send me the assets, I'll do all that. Thank you so much. Thanks, James. Thanks, everyone. Discover how to build your business super fast. Check out superfastbusiness.com. Thank you.